This is chapter 10 in a series of media resources accompanying the Starting Point Conversation Guide. Storyline is a message delivered at North Point Community Church by Andy Stanley. Have you ever heard the story of God and wondered where you fit in? Listen in as Andy describes the greatest story of redemption ever told. And in the end, find your place in the story. I have been a Christian a long time, and my dad's pastor, so I grew up in church. And then I became a professional Christian. And, um, and the, the diff- one of the differences between me and you is you have to like get up and like go to a real job, and you have things to think about. And I just sit around and think about Christianity all day. That's just my job. You pay me to just think about it and, so, and worry about it. And so people come up and they say, Andy, I found this verse, and oh, what do you think it means? I go, I don't know. Go look at this verse over here. It's even worse. And they're like, well, you're supposed to encourage me. I go, I know, but I sit around and think about it all the time. So I find like even, and you know, people come up and say, oh, I heard this terrible story, and how could God let that happen? I go, I heard a worse one. This lady came in, I'd tell them, like, whoa, you know, my faith just took another. So one of the, the downsides is I, I do, I, I just, I, I think about it and turn over all the rocks and look at all the squiggly things and what about that and what about this and could that really happen? I, I just think about all that stuff. And, and having spent so much time thinking about it and studying it and, you know, reading it and everything, I, I've come to the conclusion that for me, the, um, the greatest miracle, the, the thing that kind of really supercharges my faith more than anything else, you know, having become a student of the Bible and been a Christian a long time, the, the thing, the biggest miracle to me isn't even in the Bible. I think the biggest miracle to me um, is the Bible. My goal today, and I don't think I'll accomplish it necessarily uh, because I've tried before, but if I could like push a button and I could just accomplish something great today, it would be that at the end of this message that all of us, that our jaws would sort of be hanging open and we'd be going like, whoa, because this isn't even a book. And one of the things that kind of miffs me a little bit, and I understand it, people go, well, you know, there's, every religion has their book, and the Bible is just another book. And I go, whoa, 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 you're about to share some ignorance, and you don't mean to, but you are, because this isn't even a book. You know what this is? This is a collection of writings. Okay. This is not by a person or a prophet. This is a collection of writings, and here's the thing that your jaw starts to drop when you begin to understand it. This is a collection of writings that, that, that the first writings were in like 1470-something B.C., and the final ones were completed in like 60 or, you know, maybe 70 A.D., and they tell one story. Now, you just got to think about that. Over 40 different writers, most of whom never met, didn't get in a room and go, okay, uh, what part do you want to write? And why don't you say this happened? And I'll do a part. And see, you know, at the service people go, ah, some men wrote this. You know, you can't trust what men say because men make things up. It's just a bunch of, whoa, 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 before you go there. Here's the amazing thing. Forty-something different authors stretched from 1400 and something B.C. to 60 or maybe 70 A.D. One story. How could that be? And, and, and the story's amazing. There's like murder and intrigue and armies and kings and queens and evil and affairs and true love and heroes and villains and money and rich and poor. And any theme that you'd find in your favorite novel or literature or movie, it's in there. And it was in there first. And it's all there. And most of it's history and nobody's trying to weave together, you know, a storyline. They're just telling us what happened. And you string together everything that happens and it tells one incredible story. 
And the theme is the story of redemption. Redemption means to buy back or to pay somebody off in order to get something. It's to buy something back. It's the story of redemption and it's the story of God. And most importantly for you, it's the story of God that creates the context for your life and for mine. And and I'm convinced after all these years that we will never sense what our lives are really about until we understand the context. And here it is. God's story and where we fit in. See, at some point in your life, and this has already happened for many of us because we got to that age. But at some point in everybody's life, and I can remember as a kid hearing adults say this and, and going... What? I mean, this is just like, this isn't even a category for me, but it happens to all of us. At some point in life, you're going to kind of poke your head up over the busyness of life, you know, and, you know, have some kids or find somebody to have kids with or find the kids, you know, or get the kids to school or, you know, find a job, get a job, keep a job, try to keep that job, move from job to career or, you know, think about the future or find a car, you know, or find, you know, all that's busyness of life. Every once in a while, at some point in life, we all kind of poke up our head, poke our head up over it and go, What am I doing? What is this about? I mean, where is this going? Is there just these bookends of you're born and you die? And you don't think about that when you're like 16. But at some point in life, you pause just long enough to go, is there a, and use that P word, is there like a purpose to this? Is this going anywhere? And there's no real clear answer. And and in fact, you, you talk to people and their answers aren't emotionally satisfying. So we just go, Oh, what the heck? You know, on with the show. And we kind of just, you know, go back to work or call somebody up or try to get a date or, you know, get another job or sell something else. You know, we just kind of go back to it. And then, you know, you're on vacation and you're sitting by by the sun and the sunset. And it's just beautiful. And you're overcome with the, the majesty of a sunset. And here comes that question again. What is this about? Are you at the lake and then you're fishing? You're all by yourself and you're thinking, this is just like there's something. There's something more. But. What is it? You hold that baby or every once in a while something just kind of pokes through and you're forced out again to go. Is there something more? Is there a purpose? Is there a context? Is this going somewhere or is it just circle? You know, my parents had one and their grandparents had one and then I'm one and then I'll have one and they'll have. Is it is that it? Is is, is it just circular? Is it linear? Is it it going somewhere? And you see. You don't understand the purpose of your life, and I don't either, until we understand the context, until we understand the story. And it's not even your story. It's God's story. And it's awesome. And today, to the best of my ability, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it to you. And if, you, if you're not a Bible person or a Christian, I'm so glad you're here, because this is going to be great. So I'm going to tell you the whole story of the Bible, so you don't ever have to come back to church. Here's the whole thing, all at one time, you know. Um, if you've been a Christian for a long time and, and you kind of pick up the Bible and read randomly and you're going, you know, what's an Isaiah? And, you know, what, who's, there's two Josephs. You know, you haven't put it all together. This will be helpful. But my goal today isn't to teach you the Bible. My goal is at the end, we would be so overwhelmed with the fact that there really is a story. There is no way a person could have manufactured this or pulled it off because the authors never met. They didn't even live in the same generation. They just stretched out for all these years. And yet here's the story that explains why you're here. It's the context for your life and for mine. And I've come to the conclusion that you really, really won't understand or get any traction when it comes to understanding the purpose for why you're here until you understand where you fit in this story. Because it's the story of redemption and you are the redeemed. 
Let me tell you this story. Here's how we're going to, I'm going to give you eight words. So if you're taking notes, you just write down eight words. Or if you have a good memory, you'll know all eight. And then when somebody says, what about the Bible? You can just rattle off these eight and kind of tell them the whole story. They'll think you're so smart. The first word is the most predictable one. It's the word creation. Because the Bible tells us how the whole thing got kicked off. And it's an, inc- it's an incredible story. And it sounds like a myth. But, you know, everybody that says it's a myth doesn't have a better explanation. It's just... You know, we don't know what happened, but the Bible says, here's what happened, that God created the heavens and the earth and he put the first man, created the first man and the first woman, male and female, and it started the first family. And two very important things happened that we often overlook. And this is huge for the story. The first thing that's important in this first chapter of the story is that God put a law, put a rule in the middle of this world. And he didn't have 10 rules. He just had one. And the reason God put a commandment in the middle of this perfect world was to establish order and to establish authority without and without a rule. Nobody would know who's in charge. And, and it was very important to the story that God communicate to mankind. I'm God. You're not. You're good, but you're not God. I'm the creator. You're the created. I'm the king. You're the subject. I'm the father. You're the child. That there was a rule. There was a line of authority. And the way God established that was by creating one rule. And when you read about that rule, it doesn't even seem all that important. And more important than what the rule was, was the fact that God had the authority to establish it. The other important thing to the story in this first chapter is that God did something that we really overlook that explains much of what you experience every single day. God said to mankind and said to Adam and Eve, I'm going to take everything I've created on this world and I'm going to place it under your authority. You are in charge of the world. It's yours. I've created it, but I'm placing it under your authority. So I will rule you and you're going to rule the world. And as evidence of that, that God said, "Okay, I want you to name the animals. You know, where do you start? They're your animals. I gave them to you. You know, see, when you give something a name, it's a sign of ownership, isn't it? That's why we we name our children. We don't let other people name them or let them name themselves later on. You know, they they may even wish we had done that, but we we named our children. And so that's a sign of authority. So God, this is so important. God said, Adam and Eve, mankind, human race, I'm placing the authority and I'm placing creation, this world of creation under your authority. Huge. Second chapter, we're going to call brokenness, brokenness, because three chapters after, you know, creation or the third chapter in the book of Genesis, sin enters the world. And Adam and Eve butted heads with God over the one rule. Now, why in the world will they break the one rule? The rule wasn't even the issue. The issue was who's going to be God? Who's going to be in charge? And when you're a kid, if you, if you grew up in church and you read that story, you, you found yourself thinking maybe like I did. Why in the world did they do that? To which I would say to you, why in the world do you do that? And you can look at my life and say, Andy, why did you do that? Why is it that we go head to head with the rules that God has established? Why is it we go head to head with right and wrong when we know the difference between right and wrong? Why is it we have so many regrets? I don't know. It came from our ancestors. And so in the Garden of Eden, the first rule was broken. And when the first world was broken, brokenness permeated creation. Man's relationship with God, broken. Adam and Eve's relationship with each other, broken. Mankind's relationship with all of creation, broken. Because what they didn't anticipate was this. When they broke their relationship with God, everything under their authority broke. You see, the third chapter of Genesis explains, and it's not an emotionally satisfying answer, but it's the answer. 
The third chapter of Genesis, when everything broke, explains much of what drives you crazy in this world. It explains why bad things happen to good people. Why good things sometimes happen to bad people. It explains child abuse. It explains divorce. It explains murder. It explains crime. It explains disease and sickness and birth defects and all the things that drive us crazy. And we are so broken. We are so broken that when those things happen, who do we blame? God. Because we're so broken, we don't know the story. We don't even know the context of our brokenness. And we shake our fist at God and God's going, hey, I'm just keeping my promise. I placed all of this world's creation under your authority. And as you go, so goes creation. So goes the world. You didn't want to operate under my authority. Nothing functions under my authority. I gave it to you and I meant it when I gave it to you. The second, the second chapter, every Everything breaks and everything begins to break down. Do you know why husbands and wives, as much as they loved each other at the altar conflict? Genesis chapter 3. Do you know why even though you do your best and you work hard, there's conflict at work? Genesis chapter 3. Do you know why things that are totally inexplainable and, and, and just random acts of cruelty and random acts of nature, just randomness sometimes. Things just go wrong for no reason. Genesis chapter 3. We live in a broken world and it's still broken. Now, creation, brokenness. And then, and then God did something we, we wouldn't have done. Because when in your family, remember when you were a kid and, and you, you were given a law or a rule and you broke it? You remember what your, your, your parents did, right? You know? Or, or when, if you're a parent and, and your kids break a rule, you know your first response. God's response to all of this is amazing and it's unpredictable. And yet this is when the theme really begins to surface. God, instead of just totally stomping everything out of existence and starting over, God in turn turns around to creation and the created ones and to the first men and women and to humanity. And you know what he does? He makes a promise. He makes a promise. I'll show you. I'm going to promise you something. And I want to read you a passage of scripture that really starts to cause my jaw to drop because this is absolutely amazing. It's found in Genesis. I'll just read it to you. It's found in Genesis chapter 12 because here's what God does. God's got this big broken mess. Everything's broken. His relationship with man's broken. Relationship with, between people's broken. Creation's broken. Now there's conflict. Now the, you know, all of nature goes crazy. Everything's broken. And God decides that he's not going to give up. And so he reaches down and we don't know why and we don't know, you know, what drove him. He reached down and he chose a man. And we don't know why he chose Abraham. There was nothing special about Abraham. My theory is that it was such a big mess. He had to start somewhere and he just went, let's take with him because it doesn't matter. They're all broken. They're all lost. They're all mixed up. They're all worshiping idols and worshiping pagans. Nobody knows who I am anymore. It doesn't matter. Just pick somebody. Just pick one. All right. He just he picks a man named Abram that becomes Abraham and he singles him out and he makes him this promise. Now, listen to this, especially if you're like somewhat skeptical and I don't know about the Bible. And it's just 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 listen to this. This is this is amazing. Okay, listen to this. Chapter 12 of Genesis. The Lord said to Abram, who later becomes Abraham. Leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. This is like 1780 B.C. OK, this one does happen. This is like way, way, way long time ago. He says, and I'm going to I'm going to make you into a great nation. Time out. God or whoever this is. What's a nation? Oh, yeah, there really aren't. Any of those to speak of yet? Are they? Okay. Well, nation is like uh, like a family that gets really, 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 really big. Okay. 
I have a wife and we're not not able to have kids. I think maybe you randomly picked the wrong person. Now listen to this. Okay, this is awesome. I will make you a great nation. Ready? And I will bless you. Check this out. And I will make your name great. Abraham, almost 2,000 years, you know, way, way, way long time ago, or 2,000 years. I, you know, 3,700 years ago. I, and this is in the desert. We, don't, we can't even find where this happened. I'm going to make your name great. Now, here's a quick survey. Not counting today. Okay, not counting today. Not counting this sermon. How many of you had heard of Abraham before you got here? Whoa. It happened, didn't it? See, that's when I start going. Whoa, 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 whoa. We get ancient literature. Even the most liberal of liberal scholars. This is ancient literature. And there's a writing in here about a guy. And God supposedly says, I'm going to make your name great. And in 2006, everybody in here had heard of him. It's more than that. Listen to this. Listen, listen. The three major world religions, Judaism, Islam, Christianity. We all trace our physical, our spiritual roots back to this guy. And the most fought over controversial piece of real estate now, not ancient, now has to do with this guy. That's amazing. And that's undeniable. It just happened. So that doesn't prove God. No, it doesn't prove God. But how do Wow, that's amazing. And, and, and this, listen to what God said to him. This is great. I'm going to make your name great. Verse three, and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Creation. We broke it. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham. I know this isn't going to make any sense to you now, but a long time from now, people are going to read this and their jaws are going to drop. I am going to make you an entire nation. And then from that nation, I'm going to bless everybody who ever lives through you. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, finally had a son. And that son, Isaac, had some children. And one of those sons, Jacob, had 12 sons. And then there was a famine where they lived. And so they all moved to Egypt and they liked it so much they just stayed there. But they were just a big family. And they kept having children and another generation, another generation. And finally, there were so many people related to Abraham. It started to look and feel like a nation, but they lived in Egypt. They had no real estate. All they had was, you know, their homes in Egypt. And the Pharaoh decided there's too many of them. Let's make them slave labor. So that they won't become more of than us. And they enslaved all the Hebrews. And now it was a nation within a nation that was a slave nation. For a hundred years, then 200 years, for 300 years, for 400 years, the nation of Israel was in the nation of Egypt as slave labor. And if you had been born in the middle of those 400 years, you would have heard the story of Abraham. And by the time you were 30 or 40 years old, you would have been like many of us and said, you know, what? I don't believe that. Some old guy in God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. We're not a great nation. We're a slave nation. 
and you could have been born and died in slavery and never seen the fulfillment of that prophecy and rightly so have been very, very, very cynical and suspect that there was anything to it. Nothing's going to come of it. My father was a slave. My grandfather was a slave. His father was a slave. I'm a slave. It's just bogus. These are just stories they tell children so they'll have faith in some God that doesn't exist. So they'll do the right thing in case God's going to judge them. But obviously the whole thing is made up because we're slaves. That's not coming true. We, can, we don't even have any real estate. And where is this God? But God was writing a story. And one day he appeared not far from there to a man named Moses. He said, Moses, I've heard my people's cries and, and I'm going to deliver them now. I'm going to we're going to have a new chapter. Moses, that's a great idea. What's that got to do with me? And God said, I'm going to send you. And Moses said, but I can't talk. He said, I know that's why I chose you. He said, but I've already been to Egypt once and failed. That's why I chose you. So let me get this straight. I'm like going to go tell the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, that I would like for all of his day laborers, for all of his, you know, laborers, for for everybody that basically makes the country work. I'm just going to go say, I'd like to take all those people with me. Now we're going to leave. God said, yeah, that's what I want you to do. Moses said, there's no way it's going to work. And not too long after that, all of the day laborers in Egypt packed up and followed Moses out of Egypt and the most powerful nation in the world, their economy was decimated and they marched out because God was still alive and because God made Abraham a promise and because he was writing the story of redemption. And in that moment, we see redemption. God actually physically taking a nation out from another nation, buying them out of physical slavery. And we come to the next chapter in the story and it's a chapter we call law. Law, because suddenly now you got a group of people who don't know God. They have no laws. They have no religious writings. All they have are these fictitious stories about a guy named Abraham. And I'm so sure that's going to come true. And suddenly, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a God and maybe God's going to actually do something. And Moses takes the people to Mount Sinai and God says, now that I have redeemed you out of slavery, now that I've bought you out and brought you out, now that I have loved you, I want to reveal to you who I am. Now that you've done nothing for me, but I've done something for you. I want to reveal to you who I am. And he tells the people his name. And he gives him the law. And in the law, we discover the values of God. And we discover that God values relationship between people, relationship between he and and people. We find out what's important to God in terms of how things are done and how things are not done. And then the amazing thing about this part of the story is that with the law, this is so cool. With the law, God provides provision for those who break the law. The assumption being, here's my law. I know you're going to break it. Here's my law. I know you're going to screw up. Here's my law. I know you're not going to pull it off. Why? Because you're broken and I've not yet fixed you. And here's the amazing thing. When a person broke God's law, they had to kill an animal. Now, that wasn't new because that was, you know, people sacrificed animals before. But God took this ancient ancient tradition and he married it to the law as if to say when something when there is sin, there must be a death. When there is sin, there must be a death because a long time ago, when the sin entered the world, my relationship with man died. Man's relationship with himself, with each other began to die and man's relationship with the, with the creation began to, you know, devolve and erode and, and die. And I just want you to get it through your head that any time there's a sin, there's going to be a death and the death of this animal will not pay for your sin. The death of this animal is just going to cover temporarily your sin. Here's my law. 
Here's what you do when you break the law, because I know ultimately you're going to break it. Well, the next chapter is the word rebellion, because not only did the nation of Israel break God's law, they abandoned his law. Not only did they break his law and not make sacrifice, they abandoned the entire sacrificial system. And first and second, everything in the Old Testament, you know, first and second, everything in the Old Testament is the story of rebellion. It's the story of the God sending prophets to the nation of Israel saying, oh, whoa, 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 you got to come back to me. And the kings and the nation saying, ah, we, we want to do it the way the surrounding nations do it. Then every once in a while, a good king would arise and he would reestablish temple worship and reestablish the sacrificial system. And God would bless the nation. Then another king would come along and say, no, this is too hard. We're not just going to break God's law. We're going to abandon God's law. And they would rebel against God. And God would warn and warn and warn and send invading armies. And then God would remove the invading armies and send invading armies. And back and forth throughout the Old Testament to say to this nation, this nation to whom he'd given his law, whoa, 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 whoa. don't abandon me. And finally, God had had enough. You can read the story for yourself. And he scattered them to foreign nations. And he drove out the royalty and the wealthy people. And he scattered them. And for all practical purposes, Judaism was dead. The nation of Israel was dead. There was no more temple worship in many of those years. And again, this is so important. If you had been born during the years of captivity, if you had been born between the new and the Old Testament. If you'd been born in any of those segments, you would have been tempted to say, like many of us say today, whoa, 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 what's all these stories about Abraham's going to make us a great nation? We're not a great nation. We're again, we're a slave state again. We pay taxes to Rome. We pay taxes to the Assyrians. We pay taxes to the Babylonians. We pay taxes to the Persians. We're not a great nation. We are a nation that is subservient to the nations around us. Obviously, all those myths and legends about Abraham and God's going to bless everybody through Israel. Obviously, that was a hoax. Why should I believe in God? Why should I trust God? Clearly, there is no God like the God of Abraham and Isaac. And Jacob, you could have been born and died in any of those generations and never seen or heard from God. Your kids could have. Your grandchildren could have. But God is a God who keeps his promise. And even though it seemed that God was silent, God was not still. Even though it seemed like he was absent, he was in fact very, very active because he was writing and slowly telling the story of redemption. And the last prophet that spoke to Israel was a prophet named Malachi. And from Malachi to the New Testament, there were 400 more years where God apparently said nothing, or at least nothing, anybody recorded. And again, it's like now. People look back and said, maybe there is no God. Maybe it was all a story. Maybe it was all made up. Maybe these were moral stories to get us to live moral lives in light of the fact that there's some God who's going to hold us accountable, but... Maybe it's just a myth, a myth that parents use to leverage goodness out of their children. The 400 years after the last prophet spoke to the nation of Israel, a new prophet walked onto the scenes. His name was John. He got a nickname, John the Baptizer. And here's what he said. This is out of John chapter 1, verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. I, I love this. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, that light, so that through him, Jesus, all might believe. Listen to this. 
He himself was not the light. John the Baptist was just a prophet to say, okay, you haven't heard from God in a long time. God is speaking again and God is about to do what God promised Abraham he was going to do. God is about to address the brokenness. God is about to address sin. You've been having animal sacrifice to cover your sin. God is about to do something to forgive your sin. God is about to send into the world the once and for all final sacrifice for sin. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Check this out. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Oh, oh, oh. it seems like we've heard that before. Every man is in Abraham. All men are going to be blessed through you. Every man. Listen to what he says. Verse 14. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. Talking about Jesus. We have seen his glory. Because John actually met and saw Jesus. The glory of the one and only. Check this out. Who came from the Father. Full of grace and truth. The next chapter in the story of God. In the story of redemption. We're calling it grace. The chapter of grace. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. The law was truth. Jesus was grace. And Jesus embraced both the law and grace. And he came and he said, I want to introduce something into the story that's been here all along, but you might have missed it. I want to surface and highlight something that's been a part of the story that you've missed. It's the word grace. That all along the way, God has given you what you don't deserve and refuses to give you what you do deserve. Instead of stamping out the human race when the human race broke everything, God instead made a promise that was grace. When God gave the law, he gave a provision for people who broke the law. That was grace. When God delivered the nation of Egypt, of Israel out of Egypt, that was grace. That throughout the whole story, the the underpinnings of this whole story is God's grace as evidenced in his redemption. And Jesus shows up and says, in case you missed it, it's about the grace of God, not the law of God. It's not about God paying you back. It's about God buying you back in order to win you back and Jesus said things no one had ever said before and he made it very clear that I'm not just here for Israel I'm here for everybody and at the end of his life he said to his closest followers now this whole time you may have thought this was about Israel you may have thought that when God said to Abraham all nations he just meant well all the Jewish nations and all the Jewish people but let me make it clear I want you to go into ready ready here it is I want you to go into all the world and make disciples Because God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham, who is the one who came before me as a Jewish man, who came before me. And I am here to fulfill the promise of Abraham. I'm here and my message and my death is for all men. Wow. That's amazing. He went to be with the father. And then his disciples went all throughout the earth and preached the message. The next chapter we're calling the spirit, the chapter of spirit. Because after he left, the Holy Spirit descended in the book of Acts chapter 2 and began to fill all those believers who believed in Jesus. And from that day forward, any time a person places their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell them. He doesn't just live with us. He lives in us. And for generations, for 2,000 years since the time of Christ, the Holy Spirit has been filling people who place their faith in him, who surrender to him, to tweak our conscience, to elbow us in the ribs, to renew our mind, to begin to think like God thinks and to see the world the way that God sees the world and to begin to respond to other people and to, and to address our brokenness so that we can live in this world that's still broken but live unbroken lives. 
to live in this world that's still broken, but have unbroken marriages and unbroken relationships and to live in this broken world and extend forgiveness, not because anybody deserves it, but because we have been forgiven. And if you've ever met somebody who has the spirit of God living in them and allows him to have full reign in their lives, they're just amazing. And they're so different because they're in sharp contrast to the brokenness in this world and bad things happen to them. And they say, I, 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 I trust God anyway. He's a God that keeps his promises. And you go, wow, what is that? That's the spirit of God. That's the world and the generation we live in. This is our chapter, the chapter launched by grace, the chapter that's consumed by and described by and underscored by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of any man or woman who places their faith in Christ. But that's not the final chapter of the story. The final chapter of the story we're calling eternity. And I want to tell you the final chapter. And if I, I'm going to read you some verses. And if you find yourself going, I just don't know if I believe that. I understand that. I, I, that just seems, again, that just seems like something you tell people to get them to live good moral lives. That, that just sounds like something you tell people in order to get them to try to be good. But it's, that just sounds like a, a, a tale, a story. Listen to this. Revelation chapter 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and the new, first earth, for, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is John. He's seeing this, this revelation, this vision. And there was no longer any sea, which means there was no longer any division of land. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. There's all this ethereal vision. Verse 3. Here's the amazing part. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. Not just in them. With them. And he will live with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And then check this out. See, this next part is what you've prayed for. This next part is what you've known intuitively needed to happen. This next part addresses your greatest concerns, your greatest fears, the trauma, the, you know, the, the negative passion, the anger, the fear. This next part is what you've known instinctively needed to happen, but you couldn't get God to do it. Listen to this. Verse 4. And he, God, will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order, the broken order, the busted order, the brokenness that allowed sin to permeate every part of creation for the old order of things has passed away. Listen to this. Verse five. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm not just going to patch it up, wire it together, duct tape it together, kind of jack it up, make it work. No, no, no. I'm not just going to fix what was broken. I'm going to make everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, if you hear that and you go, I, you know, Things coming down out of heaven and a new world. I, I, that's just so hard for me to believe. Whoa, 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 It was hard for Abraham to believe that one day he was going to have to be a nation when he wasn't even really a good family. It was so hard for Moses to believe. Now, let me get this straight. I'm going to go to Egypt and tell the most powerful man in the world to release his entire labor force. 
How must it have been for that little teenage girl named Mary when an angel appeared and said, you're pregnant and your son is going to be named Emmanuel? And did I skip the part that, oh, yeah, by the way, he's going to save all his people from their sin? But he did it. He did it. He did it. And many of us believe he will do it. And that's the context of your life and mine. That's the story. That's God's story. But it's a story of redemption, which means it's your story because you are the redeemed. And it's not the story of payback. It's the story of buyback so that we can be one back. See, when you understand the story, because this hasn't maybe it's made no sense to you until now. When you understand the story, you understand why millions and millions of people all over this world... In many, many different languages, under many, many different circumstances, you begin to understand why so many millions of people get up every day and get on their knees and just say, yes, yes, yes. Oh, I know you haven't said anything, but the answer will be yes. I surrender. Because if that's the story and you believe it, what else can you do? Surrender to an invisible God makes no sense until you know the story. But once you know the story, what else can you do? Are you going to get up in the morning and go, no, no. I'll show you. Guys go, whoa, whoa, time out. Okay, you don't know the story. Do you think for a moment, oh, little itty bitty man, that you can thwart the plan or the will of God? Do you really think so? Look at him down there, would you? No, I'll show you. Guys go, oh, you don't know the story. Because when you know the story, listen, listen. When you know the story, you understand the reasonableness. You understand the reasonableness of Jesus you know, invitation to follow him. Because if that's the story, and if that's true, is there a more appropriate response than to just get on your knees every morning and say, yes, yes, yes. See, perhaps your hesitation to surrender to your heavenly father is because you didn't know the story. But now you do. That's why to me, the greatest miracle isn't in here. It's this. The, the most compelling argument isn't in the Bible. It is the Bible. Because it's the story of God. And it's included you. And it's included me. So what else what do you do? But just throw your hands up and surrender. And say yes. To the God. Who has. And will. Keep. His promises.